you know, finally I thought, well, I'm getting too many people asking me to help them over a cup of tea. I'm going to have to turn them away or start charging. I thought, well, we'll start charging and then they'll go away and then I can get more work done on my TV writing producer career. But that didn't happen because people actually preferred to know that I was going to talk to them again the week, the next week and the week after and that I had their back and that, you know, they had a partner to support them through their process of healing from grief or through their process of writing their book or their process of launching their business. And so then the Grief Coach Academy was born, which still exists to this day. I help people, I help, I help people who like helping people. I train coaches how to help others. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, welcome listeners. You know, each show has different dynamics and energy, and today is no different. Uh, the guest, uh, Aurora Winter, it's interesting we found out that we actually sort of grew up together in cross paths in all kinds of different parts of our lives because she was in the Vancouver area, which is where I'm from and found out all these different touch points. You'll have to listen to the show about where those came from. And now she lives in California. And as a successful screenwriter and TV and movie producer, uh, she has moved into really helping people to successfully communicate to others in helping people with their messaging and thought leaders to make a difference. She also has a agency or a group around grief counseling. You'll have to listen to the podcast about the sudden and tragic loss of a family member, how that impacted her at a young age, and what that meant to her as far as going forward. So as always, we thank you for sharing your most valuable commodity, your time with us. If you like what we're doing, just please uh, leave a positive comment or rating on any platform, share it, pass it on, let others people know about it. If you know somebody that would be an amazing guest for Secrets of Success, let me know and would love to hear from it. Or maybe there's a topic or an area that uh, we haven't covered in a while and it might be something that you're interested that we do a show on. So let us know about that as well. Now, as you might or might not know, is that our show is sponsored by Consulting Resource Group, which is the publishing company that we operate in and we really help people in mastering their self-awareness, mastering themselves. And one of the things that we have, and you know, Aurora was talking about it in the show as well, is just you know, clarity is so important in messaging. But we also believe that clarity is important for our own personal life direction. In one of the courses, one of the offerings or opportunities we have, and what really would transform people's lives. I mean, every time. Somebody completes our values preference indicator and they delve into the report. They said, I've never had anything like this where it helps me to make the right decision every time. And that's not a play in words, is that what would it mean if you can filter all your decisions with this set of values? And we take you through an e-course where I, I talk about you know, what a value is, what does it mean to you, what's your list, are you living it, are you not? And then really take you through this workshop process by the end of it, that you really have this roadmap to be able to say, if I use this, my life is just going to be engaging and energizing around my core values. So anyways, we encourage you to take a look at that. It's called, What Do You Really Value? So here's today's show of Secrets of Success with Aurora Winter. Welcome. 
Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keith. Well, today I actually have a fellow Canadian who decided to live in the U.S. Now, we'll get that story about how this happened for her. But this individual is really an expert on branding and on thought leadership and developing businesses, really helping others to grow in the marketplace. And so welcome to the show, Aurora Winter. It's really great to be here with you, Ken. I've so enjoyed uh, listening to your podcast. So much good information. Well, uh, we have great people like yourself on the show, so that's why it's just a rock. So thank you for that. Much appreciated. So, Aurora, uh, you are now in the San Francisco sort of Bay Area, I understand. However, uh, you actually grew up near me, uh, just outside of Vancouver, British Columbia. So uh, let's start us with that. And then we'll get into, you know, your new book around thought leader, leadership launch, et cetera. But where, where did this sort of all start for you? Yeah, I grew up uh, around Vancouver, BC, a little place that not too many people know outside of, outside of uh, British Columbia, Surrey. And we had a farm, we had a kind of a hobby farm that got carried away. My father was the chairman of a department at the University of British Columbia, but he wanted a little hobby farm. We ended up with 300 head of cattle and 300 acre of corn silage. The benefit today, now that I'm doing something completely different, is a kind of a practical um, mindset that you get from working on the farm and you just have to make something happen. And I, I, know, I noticed that you have the background with the, the dairy farm, so you also are a very practical, down-to-earth kind of person, again, even though you're doing something completely different now. Uh, isn't that in uh, I suspect that you did you help out with chores and with things that oh had to be done? my goodness of course I had to help I, well had to I enjoyed helping out with chores I really loved disking because you know that would turn the stubble over and it would make the the, uh, the brown uh, earth so show up like coffee colored so rich and then plowing it that was really good so I was really enjoying uh, Doing yeah, I haven't the had people charge. use those terms on this show before. I know, until I found out that I was getting paid two cents an hour and my older brother was getting paid like real money. I'm like, wait a minute, my agreeable nature is getting taken, taken for granted here. But I learned so much. Actually, I had, uh, you might get a kick out of this. I actually had the reserve grand champion at uh, a PNE one year. So I had a Simmental uh, um, uh, steer. And uh, that, that paid now, for my first year of college at the University of British Columbia. Now, Aurora, you didn't see this coming, but do you recall what year that was? Oh, my goodness. I want to say like, 19... Was it in the 80s, or what year was... No, it was in the 70s. I want to say 1975? I don't know. I can't remember. Here's why... It's a testing question. question. Uh-huh. The reason I asked the question is because I was and worked at the PE for 10 years. Oh my from goodness. 19, from 1976 to 1986. The first couple of years is I was the 4-H clerk, but of course I was involved with 4-H a lot as well. And then, um, and then after that, I actually was the supervisor for the barn area for the better part of six or seven years. So, oh, I wonder if we overlapped. That would be amazing. That probably uh, was more than likely. And yeah, we were all responsible to make sure everything was set up for the sale. And of course, uh, if you got champion, then you probably got a good penny at the auction for your I own. got a really good penny. I remember at the time it was like $3.75 live, live weight, which was an insane wow. amount of money. So uh, five grand later. 
Five grand later, I had, you know, tuition at the University of British Columbia is not expensive if you're a resident. So I had my, my money for the first year. It was a great experience, and I got pictured in the, in the various newspapers, the Sun, the province, uh, the local papers. Now, what are the odds of that? Sorry, listeners, uh, Rory, I, I, I know. Of course. on a tangent there. <laughs> and it's funny, when you think about, like, two degrees of separation and those different elements, I actually worked for the Federal Department of Agriculture for a while. That was one of my jobs after I left the dairy farm and couldn't work with dad anymore. And so thinking that your dad was involved with UBC, one of my clients actually was a UBC farm in, called Triumph. And uh-huh. they actually had in the middle of downtown Vancouver, sort of in the endowment lands, they had this dairy farm. It, it's not there anymore, but it was way back there back in the 80s. So small world, and your dad yeah. would have been some connection to it somewhere along the way. Absolutely. He was chairman of the Super Board, too, at, at the time. But the 4-H, actually, interestingly enough, does connect with uh, what I do now, in a way, with the Thought Leader Launchers about helping people with their message, because I remember learning how to be a public speaker in 4-H. You probably did that, too, mm. Ken. And I would write my, my speech, I don't know, it was like, 11 or something, and I remember putting my, my, my handwritten uh, notes for my talk underneath my pillow because I was like, i got to memorize this. i got to memorize this. So bet if I put it under my pillow, it'll sink in, and it kind of did. So Yeah, I broke my teeth doing that, and in uh-huh. fact, oddly enough, this is again off topic, but in 1976, I won the trip to Toronto from Vancouver for the National 4-H Conference. Wow. Which is part of the CNE or the Royal Winter Fair, as we would call it. Uh And I was chosen at 16 years of age to do the thank you speech to all the sponsors. So there's 450 people in the room, many of these bank executives of billion dollar banks and stuff like that who sponsored 4-H. And I was just absolutely petrified, but excited all at the same time. And, you know, I really knew at that moment, I talk about it in my story, that that was was I said, you know, I want to do this for a living sometime or another. So it took me, you know, nearly 20 years or, or 15 before I kind of transitioned. But that was, I give 4-H the credit for that. I agree. 4-H was very helpful. And I hadn't really put that together until this little conversation. Yeah, that was the beginning of becoming a, a, a public speaker. And that paid off handsomely over time. But it's uh, nerve-wracking at first. You know, they say that people are more afraid of public speaking than death. Mm-hmm. Which seems kind of uh, crazy. It seems weird because I, you know, people now I've done three thousand presentations. Says, do you get nervous? And I said, never, just, just not, not at all. I get excited, excited, energized, but I nervous, not at all. Now, trying to fix my computer with technology, yeah, maybe. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, I've studied neuroscience. I did my MBA quite recently. Actually, took a year off in Italy, and uh, did my MBA. Yeah, I know. I struggled through that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I learned a lot about neuroscience, and it's actually the same physical sensations in your body, whether you're afraid or whether you're excited. It's all about labeling. So mm-hmm. if you notice that butterfly in your tummy and you go, I'm excited, well, then you are. Mm-hmm. If you go, I'm afraid, well, then you'll probably show up and afraid. So it's kind of interesting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let's kind of digress a little bit. So you finish high school. And you get to go to UBC because dad's there and you get a bit of a staff discount. So that being said, uh, what did you take? Oh, you want the whole story. Well, I took English 
I took uh, uh, English literature and how to write children's lit because I wanted to be a writer. I always wanted to be a writer. Well, not always. I'll tell you a tiny story about that. But then at the end of the first year, I had good marks also in, in economics. My father's an economist, so that would make sense. And I said, well, I'm going to major in English. And he's like, do something sensible. Why don't you take a minor in English and major in economics? So I had this whole uh, detour in some ways of looking at it you know, studying economics and starting businesses and, and, you know, learning how to do the supply and demand charts for economics. Um, but in the end, my heart led me back to writing and now I'm hel I help people with their books and with their communication. Um, yeah, so that was, that was interesting. My second year uni university, just to make things more challenging, I took a train across, across Canada after my summer job, which was actually working in Victoria for the farm economics branch of the government, um, and took a train all the way across Canada. I slept most of the way because I had three summer jobs because I kept getting offered extra jobs. And, uh, and then I took my second year university in French at l'Université de Sherbrooke in uh, Quebec. So it was in wow. French. Good thing I knew that they must be saying, this is supply, now, this is, is demand. French, French. Is there some French in your family then? That, uh, uh, there is some French in my family now, but there wasn't at that time. My older brother did marry a, a Quebecois, so he... he uh, but as far as heritage for you, so what no. was the motivation around doing it in French? Uh, just to learn. I like learning. I love learning. Well, I barely passed English, not alone a second language. So, <laughs> so you hats off, hats off to you. So you well, here's second second year there. Then what do you you come back to UBC to finish? Sort of. But let me tell you what what prompted me to become a writer because I think that's a fun story. And seeing as you like the sure. the, the yeah, background, so I always loved reading. I was a voracious reader, and I loved uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia series, which starts with the book The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which I'm sure you are familiar with. And I remember I must have been uh, eight or nine years old, uh, if that. And I went into the elementary school library. And I remember taking down the last book in the Narnia series. As I, and I reached up on my tippy toes to reach down the last book. And I had such a strong emotion of both um, anticipation of delight entering this world that C.S. Lewis was going to transport me to, but also a sense of anticipatory grief because it was the last book in the series. And at that moment, mm -hmm. I realized I couldn't imagine anything more more magical than to be able to transport mm -hmm. somebody else into an imaginary word, world with just your words. And I thought that was the most amazing skill ever because when I was reading his books, you know, I was, I was in Narnia. I was right there. And it felt so real to me, you know, the winter that never ended and the evil queen and, and the fawns, etc. And so I, I, I vowed at that moment that I would do mm -hmm. everything I possibly could to become a, a fantastic writer than like C.S. Lewis. And a communicator. Great. And a communicator, yeah. Thanks for that, Aurora. So, Aurora, when you, when you were listening or finishing those books from C.S. Lewis, what did that really inspire in you? You said you really wanted to help people with story. What does that mean? Well, it, I just feel like communicating is, is such a magical and, and yet such an important skill, and we take it for granted. But it's, it's not a minor thing to be able to communicate, especially entrance somebody or take them into a story or into another world or into a pitch. So, for example, one of the reasons I moved to Silicon Valley is because I was 
helping people communicate and the results for my clients who are typically entrepreneurs was that the companies who had raised zero money before working with me after taking my training and learning how to communicate clearly succinctly and powerfully ended up raising on average per company seven million dollars so, so there's a whole part here Aurora that we skipped over Yes, there is. So, so, and, and I'm more granular. You'll, you'll, you'll like me by the end of the host because I think, you know, the elements of the story that a lot of us take for granted our listeners are just fascinated by. So you, you finish your degree. Now what happens? Well, I fell in love in college. And my, um, my, the man who was to become my husband and I both had, you know, just fresh out of university jobs. He was working for Xerox as a salesperson. I was working in downtown Vancouver for a real estate uh, consulting firm doing market feasibility studies. But we were so madly in love, we couldn't bear being apart. So we're like, what business can we start with no money? And I'm like, well, I know how to do market feasibility studies. Uh, what skills have you got? He's like, well, I like sailing and I'm good at selling. I'm like, okay, so let's start a, a boat charter business or a boat rental business. So I did the market feasibility study and that was one of the few businesses you could start with no money because basically we were just offer the management service of renting out other people's boats and uh, taking a fee for managing and, and marketing that. So we started that on Vancouver Island in Schooner Cove Resort. That and was that the, is where my mother-in-law lived for. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Are we so related or what? Totally related. Yeah, so. Okay. Um, in spite of the financial projections looking very good on the Excel spreadsheet, uh, times got pretty tough and we barely made it. I remember the first boat show we went to in Vancouver, the old timers were looking at us like the established companies like, yeah, right, those kids are eating rice and beans. They're not going to be back next year. We can see that. Just ignore them. They're insignificant. But what happened was um, actually persistence and smarts and a few other uh, key factors resulted in us growing that business from the little tiny company that was a postage stamp size office. It was in fact just an entryway. It was like not even 800 square foot office to the largest yacht sales and yacht dealership company in Western Canada. And it was all because I had a million dollar idea but it didn't really take off until I got the million dollar message. So the idea was, you might even remember this, Ken, at the, at the time, I guess that was um, uh, late 70s or maybe 1980, you could get uh, tax shelter benefits uh, from renting real estate. And so I asked the million dollar question, hypothetically, you know, could we get those kinds of tax benefits if we rented boats? And after spending $20,000 with, you know, lawyers and accountants, we discovered, yes, the answer was we could actually provide, you know, 33 and a third straight line depreciation to write off boats and a 7% investment tax credit with a whole bunch of numbers and that was not a very good sales pitch but I knew I was on to something but um, the, we, our companies started selling uh, boats as with the tax benefits and selling the boats into our charter fleet and then we came up with a 10% personal use and 90% business use which meant that because there's 52 weeks in a year, 10% personal use means you could use the boat for five weeks. So I was working to try to distill 
the message that didn't look very sexy when you talked about 7% investment tax credit and 33 and a third percent depreciation. It's like, ah, numbers. So the winning message was five weeks of sun, fun, and tax shelter, which like makes you go, what? Sun, fun, and tax shelter? How do I, what? You know, with a picture of a boat and people smiling. Um, and that got the phone ringing. We got on the front cover of BC Business Magazine and some radio coverage. And before you knew it, we had a, a multi-million dollar business. That was pretty what cool. What was the name of that company? It was called Pacific Quest Charters, was the charter company, and Pacific Quest Yacht Sales. We ended up being on Vancouver, on Granville Island. You might have been come, there. And one of been those there, or at the boat show. Yeah, we sold CNCs and Benetos and Alohas and eventually sold Carver Power Boats as well. So that was a booming business for two kids in their 20s. Um, who started with, with, with negative money because we, you know, just finished university mm. and had debt, didn't have, didn't have anything except love and optimism. Um, but the million dollar message and the breakthrough idea, which was really about how can we add more value? How can we provide something um, that others are not providing? How can we in invest and figure things out and then offer that, you know, kind of all, all um, done for you for the clients? And that, that really worked. So life was great. We actually, you know, were quite um, um, financially set, and we decided to buy our uh, dream property. We bought a lot uh, on, uh, on, in Whistler, which is a ski resort in Canada, and a lot on Alta Lake, and started building our, our dream home with the idea that, wow, you know, we would love to spend half our time in Whistler and half our time um, in Vancouver. And then I started working almost full-time uh, on my screenwriting uh, ambitions to, because I figured, hey, if I, instead of writing a 300-page novel, I only have to write 100 pages to be a screenwriter, I'll just skip the 300 pages and cut to the chase. So I was writing screenplays, and then we had a beautiful four-year-old son, so I thought my life was, like, amazing. Actually, we met, um, we got a phone call out of the blue, and uh, the the person on the phone asked if he could rent our boat for a movie shoot. My husband was starting to say, no, no, we don't rent our brand new boats. And I'm like, who's calling? <laughs> and it turned out to be John Badham's assistant who was calling. He, he produced or he directed the movie Stakeout. Mm -hmm. And so then um, we, my husband and I uh, skipped. I remember that was Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus, Mel Gibson, actually, and Goldie Hawn. Oh, oh, on the movie that I'm talking about, but the one oh, you're right, talking right, about. Right, That's right, right. Yeah. It was the movie Bird on a Wire. So we okay. ended up um, renting our boat to the movie crew and skippering and crewing. So I met Mel Gibson, who kissed me on the cheek. I didn't, kiss, I didn't wash that cheek for, for a week. Mm -hmm. um, Goldie Hawn and John Badham, the director, and the first AD. And uh, that was that was pretty exciting and that actually that chance meeting led to me being hired for the first real money to write a script for a Canadian production company, Mind's Eye, in uh, Saskatchewan. Wow. So one thing wow. led to another. Yeah. Now so, what happened to what happened to the uh, boat business? You mean you're not in it now, you're down in California. So Obviously, some, some twists and turns have occurred. There's so many twists and turns. So the next twist and turn, we uh, sold our business, and then uh, my husband was still building the house on, uh, in, on uh, the lake in Whistler, and I had 
you know, been hired to write this script. So I was like, hey, I'm away to the races. Our son is beautiful. He's four. Our dream house is coming together. Um, everything seemed like it was, you know, great and even about to get even better. And then my husband dropped dead right in front of me. And so I, my life. In Whistler. No, um, actually, we had just moved to Vancouver, in North Vancouver. We just moved the day, the day before he died. Wow. So, How many uh, years ago is that now? That's a long time ago now. It was 1991. Mm-hmm. So it was, like, it was very interesting because I felt later, much later, I felt that, oh, perhaps on some level he intuited that he was going to die because it's so weird that we moved the day before he died. You know, he took care of all the bills. He left things organized. We happened to move um, a block away for some, from some people that I knew. I didn't know that they were only a block away until later after my husband died. And so there was sort of the, the hand of God protecting my son in a very strange way. So we moved 75 miles from Whistler to Vancouver and to North Vancouver and after my husband died like a week later a woman comes knocking at the door with her dog and her son who's about the same age and I'm like come on in have a cup of tea she's like well my husband died two years ago so I just you know like to see how I can support you because I'm a neighbor I live here and uh, my son who'd been a Klingon since my husband had just died he he took to this boy and they both ran off like up to the third floor the attic kind of loft area where my son's room was, happily playing without even, you know, not not attached to me at all, like not even in the same room, couldn't even see his mom. I'm like, what's mm-hmm. happening? That's so weird. So then I spoke to this woman uh, over our cup of tea. Turned out we had a lot in common. Both of our husbands had died. She also used to live in Whistler. And I find out our sons had played together at the Dandelion Daycare in Whistler. So they knew each other. And so how how miraculous... What are the odds of that? A coincidence is that. Right. That's right. So they became best friends. And this other little boy kind of made it sort of all right, not exactly all right, but not completely abnormal to have a father die. And, uh, and they became best friends. And that was such a helpful thing. But what are the chances? Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that, Aurora. I'm not sure that you get to share that on every podcast. <laughs> no, I don't often share that, so, although it is in my first published book. Right. And so when we think about story and just the power of that, what what was sort of the next step for you? I mean, emotionally, you have this turmoil, you have all these kinds of things that are going on. Uh, but where did you go from there? Okay, so then I was like, okay, I'm hosed. Should I just shoot myself now and get this over with? Or how can I how can I manage? I mean, I didn't have a husband. I didn't have a business. I didn't have a business partner. I didn't have a job. Um, and I did have a four-year-old son looking up to me trustingly, you know, to mommy, you know, superpower mommy is going to make everything all right. And I'm like, okay, well, obviously shooting myself is not an option because I have this adorable mm-hmm. four-year-old to take care of. But how, how can I make this happen? And I'm a screenwriter, which is a very unreliable source of revenue, especially mm-hmm. a rookie. So what happened was another kind of 
coincidence. A few months later, a friend of mine said, oh, you know, come to this party with me. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't feel like it. He's like, come on, it's a film party. You'll meet people. Maybe something will come out of it. I'm like, I'm, uh, I really, I don't feel like it. He's like, come on. So I'm like, all right. Um, so I wasn't feeling very extroverted. So I ended up just sort of sitting um, at the bar and happened to chat with the, the man who was sitting beside me. He's like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a screenwriter. And I got all excited. And I tell him about the movie I was writing at the time, Lost Rituals, the absent fathers and lost sons. And I got all animated and told him about it. And I'm like, what do you do? He's like, oh, I'm the head of the BC Film Commission. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. He's like, I'd like you to represent the province of British Columbia at the Banff Film Festival, now called the Banff Media Festival. I'm like, you would? He's like, yes, I think you should pitch your movie. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so then the next day, somebody else called. She's like, oh, I hear you're going to represent the province of British Columbia at the Banff Film Festival. I'm like, yes. Do you mind if I follow you around with the documentary film crew and just record what happens? I'm like, uh, okay, I guess. And this is I, way before reality TV. This is way before reality TV, yep. So I go to Banff and I've practiced, like, you know, from the, uh, the, the, the old days with the, uh, with the, uh, um, my, my talk under my pillow, so trying to memorize it. I was so nervous, my neck went into spasm, and I had to go see a chiropractor. But I managed to to pitch, although the thought that was not helpful was like, oh, I'm going to pitch to 600 of the movers and shakers in the Canadian and American film business, so this could really make my reputation or ruin it in one fell swoop. And if they miss it, it is going to be televised on uh, CBC television, so I guess either way, there's a lot riding on this. So that, that's what made my neck go into spasm. But anyway, I did, I pitched my movie. It ended up sparking a bidding war. And my agent was fielding offers left and right from, you know, Spelling Television and Pat Ferns and Patrick Dremble and various people. And that one 20-minute presentation changed my life. As a result, it like generated six figures. I became the head of development for Canada's largest film and television production company, Atlantis Films at that time. And it just changed the trajectory of my life. And that was when the penny dropped, like, oh, getting your message down can make a huge difference in 20 minutes. Mm. So that's when I kind of put together the writing plus the speaking. And it still took me a couple more, you know, many more years to, to figure out how to, uh, how to help others with it. But it was like that aha, life-changing moment. When you think about these things in, in Aurora, I mean, part of trying to serve the audience, and we, I love your story, and I'm sure the listeners are enjoying it as well, is what do you say about the fact that, I mean, these opportunities came to you, and, you know, I'm... I'm my, I don't want to say mildly, but I mean, the law of attraction, I believe in, in sort of in general terms. So what would you say to people who are listening to this said, wow, man, she was just lucky. And <laughs> I don't actually believe in the word, quote unquote, luck per se. So what would you say to that when people make that comment? Well, I would say two things. Good luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. I think Deepak Chopra said that, but it probably came from even earlier. So, yes, good luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. So be prepared. I was prepared. I had practiced that pitch a lot. 
Mm. Um, and then be open. But I guess the deeper answer would be my first published book is called From Heartbreak to Happiness, An Intimate Diary of Healing. And it was endorsed by Dr. Wayne Dyer. It was my hero. He said, I read every page of this beautiful diary. It touched my heart and I'm sure that it will impact yours. And I um, had stumbled across my old diary about when my husband died years later i had never intended to reread it myself let alone publish it that was certainly not why i was writing i was writing because that's what i do writers write and i keep a journal every day still do but when i edited my diary to make it you know brief enough for a book i realized that there were so many times i had prayed for help or prayed for guidance or prayed for support and sometimes I didn't notice that I was given what I had asked for because it was like six months later. But when I edited my diary, I'm like, I felt like, wow, I really do live in a supportive universe. Even though horrible things happened, like my husband dying young, it took me a while to trust God again because I felt like, wow, how could you do that to me and, and your, my son? But when I edited my diary, I realized, well, I actually did pray for support, and it came. I prayed for a way to support my family, and it came. I'm getting all choked up because it is like it's very moving to appreciate how the support does come. Like even meeting you, Ken, it's like, oh, it's kind of a miracle. We have so much in common. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah, you sold your peony steer uh, under my eyes and I didn't even know it. I know, right? Uh, and, and by the way, we have been to Whistler every year for 25 years. We have a, we have a timeshare just down from Alta Lake. Are you across from the tennis courts? down there is that is that where your house was oh that's right by the what's it called the rainbow park yeah on the on the far side of alt lake not on the not okay. on the mountain side yeah oh, there we go Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's that connection as well. Bardston Island, which we talked about off air, which nobody even knows is a little island in the middle of the Fraser River. And I, we've both been there. So, yeah, that's, uh, amazing. that's where your farm was. So, yeah, like you say, uh, there's this connection and this sort of energy that you put out there. But obviously you were prepared. You know, when when you think about the transition from there and you started to move into this business, where has sort of your career taken you now? You you mentioned in your bio, I mean, you have author of six books, you've got New York Times, Huffington Post, Success Magazine, on it goes. And so really, we're quite honored to have you on the show that you would even be on our show. How about that? Well, yeah. I am delighted to be on your show, Ken. You're it's a fabulous I'm messing with you a little bit. Say, well, <laughs> well it's, it's interesting, Aurora, is that um, in a, I had a, a, a TV star on air or on our recording just before you, uh-huh. a uh, nicest person. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that there are many people that are kind of in the, I'll call it famous space, who some who kind of get full of themselves, but I find that the majority of them are not. They're exact opposite. In fact, they got there because they were kind, considerate, thoughtful, um, and didn't really take things for granted. What yeah. What say to sort of that and your experience of meeting all these famous people over the years? 
Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think we get an idea that somebody who's incredibly, incredibly successful is is going to be uh, full of themselves. But they're just people. So money is a magnifier. So if they're jerks, you know, they're really jerks. <laughs> but if they're nice, I think a lot of people are. You know, good luck does happen to people who are prepared, but also who are up to something that helps others, that makes a contribution. I mean, how could it? How could it be otherwise? I think that. You know, money is 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 just a um, unless you have a kink in your hose of receiving, you will receive a certain portion of the value that you provide. And you just said something that listeners might discord: a kink in your hose in receiving. <laughs> yes, I've not heard that before, Aurora. What does that, <laughs> I, I think I know what you mean, but what does it mean for the listeners? Yeah. Well, I mean, unless you are refusing to receive money because you have a limiting belief about money and so you're doing your very best to have, you know, deflect your shields up, we will not receive money. So Mm. people people who think that money is uh, evil, you know, or that that misunderstand some quotes in the Bible, like, you know, the quote about uh, um, you can't serve two masters or, mm-hmm. or the, uh, you know, the eye of the needle and the rich man, da, 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 da. Like those are actually, you need to dig deeper into those. I'm not a Bible expert. But um, so if you do not have a block preventing you from receiving money, which makes you say no when people say, hey, can I hire you to help me? And then you say no. Or, hey, can I pay you for that? That was so helpful. And you say no. That's a kink in your hose. Um, if you've provided value, suppose you provide, I don't know, a million dollars of value into the world, then it would just make sense that you would receive 10% of that or $100,000, and the world is still better off by $900,000, plus you get the multiplier effect for the other people going ahead, which is why I really love helping thought leaders. I mean, there's quite a bit more to my story. I don't know how if we're going to get to my current book, but um, after the first book, from Heartbreak to Happiness was published. I was a screenwriter. I was in the film business writing mostly scripts. Um, and after it was published, I thought, okay, I'm going to go back to being a film and television writer producer because there's definitely more money in that than being an author. Besides, that's what I knew. And then pe- more and more people came to me. They they wanted to know, you know, how did I go from Heartbreak to Happiness and could I help them? And I started helping people over just a cup of tea or whatever. And then um, you know, finally I thought, well, I'm getting too many people asking me to help them over a cup of tea. I'm going to have to turn them away or start charging. I thought, well, I'll start charging and then they'll go away and then I can get more work done on my TV writing producer career. But that didn't happen because people actually preferred to know that I was going to talk to them again the week, the next week and the week after and that I had their back and that, you know, they had a partner to support them through their process of healing from grief or through their process of writing their book or their process of launching their business. And so then the Grief Coach Academy was born, which still exists to this day. I help people. I help, I help people who like helping people. I train coaches how to help others who are dealing with any kind of heartbreak or stress or trauma or grief and reclaim happiness and peace of mind. So then in 2015, I, I kind of hit the wall. Many business owners do this. I think you may have mentioned it in a recent podcast of yours I listened to, that'll burn out. And I felt like I was really getting burned out and I didn't want the rest of my life to be all about grief. Mm-hmm. And now I have a 
different perspectives on it. But in 2015, I'm like, really, God, is my life going to be about my husband's death? That's maybe not okay with me. What else have you got for me? So I didn't know what to do. So I thought I will get more education. And I went and got my MBA because people were asking me more and more to help them with their marketing or their messaging or their business plan. I thought, well, if I'm going to help you with your business strategy, I better know my stuff. So I got my MBA. Now, how did you get to Italy to go to MBA? There's all <laughs> kinds of MBAs in North America. There's one online. Uh, so how did, how did Italy make the radar? I know this is a funny story too. It just goes to show the value of audio. You know, you've got a podcast. I was actually, I'm a coach, so I was list, I, and I missed the that year's International Coaching Federation convention. But I bought the audios, and I was listening to the audios as I was driving my car. And uh, this fellow was talking about neuroscience, which is one of my passions. And he's like, da 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 neuroscience, da 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 you know, Chimba, Italy, MBA, da-da-da-da, neuroscience. I'm like, what, what was that bit? And I had to, like, rewind it, like, three times because he was speaking so quickly before I could uh, tease apart that there actually was an MBA offered in, in Italy um, and uh, through the University of Iowa. And so I thought, hey, it's got neuroscience, leadership, coaching. And it's in Italy, and I'm getting my MBA. I mean, how bad can it get, right? So yeah, so that was that was. Now, how did you end up in California? And when Uh, did you end up there? I actually all roads lead to Hollywood when you're in the film business. So I ended up in California way before that in 1995. I actually am a dual citizen. My parents uh, were studying at the Iowa State University when I was born, so I was born in the states. So. Oh, uh, they already talk about um, taking advantage. Yeah. So uh, that's how I ended up in in California. And I lived in uh, primarily in the Los Angeles or Newport Beach area for quite some time. And just recently moved to to uh, to San Francisco area, Silicon, Silicon Valley area. But when I came back, I did or sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Did no, you? no. no when I came, you're, you're the guest. Away you go. <laughs> OK, so when I came back from um, getting my MBA. Then I started training thought leaders and helping people with their million dollar message. And that's why my latest book is called Thought Leader Launch, Seven Ways to Make Seven Figures with Your Million Dollar Message. And what it was was I I realized, I kind of did what I call karma math. It's sort of a joke, but it's not really a joke. It's kind of how I think. It's like that, well, it, it is a really good thing to bring somebody who's heartbroken and is feeling in the well I feel like if you're grieving, it's like you're walking along the park on a sunny day and you get distracted by a hummingbird and then boom, somebody dies and you fall down the well and it's dark in there and, the, and, it's, and there's probably spiders and it's wet and there's no light and there's no rope ladder and how are you going to get out? You can't get out of a well by yourself. And man, so this is a C.S. Lewis chapter. Right <laughs> you go, yeah. Oh, man, where did you go? Oh, my God. <laughs> How did I get in a well with spiders? Where I know, you? it's a horrible thing. So then uh, as a grief coach, uh, what we do is we, we, we shine our light down there. We say, it's okay, I got your back. It's all right, here's a rope ladder. And we walk the people step by step up this ladder. Uh, so we have a, a step-by-step process to help people get out of grief and get back in the sunshine where they're standing in the grass and the sunlight and they can then decide what mountain do I want to climb? What do I want to do next with my life? As you would say, you know, what is my life purpose? What is the meaning? And, and they go from there. So I thought, well, that's good karma. Maybe you count that as one life, one life point. 
that's good. But I thought if I could help people like yourself, Ken, people mm-hmm. who are helping many people, people who are helping, you know, hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people or, you know, dozens of people, then whatever good I can do with my little catalyst match of contribution is going to be magnified. And so that's why I am now focused primarily on helping launch thought leaders uh, so that they can get their their valuable message, their valuable contribution out into the world in an effective way and build, you know, build and make a massive difference while also uh, at least monetizing it because otherwise you go broke and that's the end of that plan. So, but I still also do the Grief Coach Academy because I'm a slow learner apparently, but I realized, wait a minute, all these thought leaders are coming to me with all of these limiting beliefs and all this trauma that happened to them like two decades ago that's causing a kink in their hose to bring our story Mm -hmm. forward. And I realized, oh, you know, maybe having your husband die when he's 33 and you're 31 is not a, is not, uh, is an abnormal experience, but dealing with some kind of trauma, divorce, upset, set major setback, uh, challenge to your identity where you think like, oh, I'm not, I'm not worth anything or your church community rejects you or you move to another country where they speak another language and you're all upside down. I mean, this is a human experience. So I realized, oh, actually the first step of launching as a thought leader is to um, um uh, trans, not so word, transmute, that's the word I'm looking for, to, to reclaim your history, to pull out the gold mm-hmm. that's in that ore, pull out the gold so that you can have access to the wisdom. He talked about a lot of people having opinions, but not, nobody, not many people have wisdom. Well, wisdom comes from looking at your own history, going, oh, okay, that crap happened, but let's not avoid that. Let's look at that. Let's pull out the gold. Let's just let the or that's worthless, go to one side and put it down so we're not carrying it around in our backpack so we like, don't have a 200-pound backpack on our back and staggering around. You know, people pull out that gold and they reclaim their bright, shiny selves. They integrate their history. They become more coherent energy energetically. And then that opens up their voice and it opens up their next step in leadership, which I find is, is, is many times... They're on to something, but they haven't quite nailed it. So help them, you know, with their business message, help them with their book, help them with their screenplays. And, and I love it. It kind of like God had a much better plan than I did because I didn't see this for like years. But those two things actually, strangely enough, go together because, well, most people have something limiting them. And then once they put that down, then what is their life purpose and how are they going to make the biggest difference is the next question. And I guess I'm, somewhat unique because it's not too many people who have that passion for communication and also passion and a skill to help people, you know, through whatever setbacks they have had in their life. So, you know, I'll give you a little example. So my um, um, client, Dr. Greg Hammer, he's a Stanford professor of medicine and an MD. His, his son died uh, before the age of 30, which is a very tragic loss. And as many, 
as many fathers would, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're an MD at Stanford or you're mm -hmm. or just a regular everyday father, if there is such a thing, you know, he went into deep depression. He, he tried getting himself busy. He took care of his son's estate and did all the busy work of it. And then he just kind of isolated and felt more and more down, understandably. And then he had to like pull himself out of it. And how he eventually pulled himself out of it was he found this practice of focusing on gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment were very helpful. And he then called that gain. So gain without pain is the title of his book that was just released May 15th. So uh, gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment is gain. But until he met me, his, he just had an idea for a book. He probably would never have written a book. He's never written a book. He doesn't really know much about that. But I thought, oh, this is a great idea. Who doesn't want to gain without pain? Gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment are helpful. And so now, you know, we he did the Thought Leader Mastermind, and he took the media training, and I um, helped him uh, write his book and edit his book and publish his book. I helped him market his book, so it was number one new release. And now it's the number one bestseller on Amazon within one week of being released and he's you know doing a lot of media and he's making a contribution and he made his son's death meaningful in mm -hmm. in a kind of a way it's not like it's a transmuting it's sort of like a phoenix rising kind of meaningful you know obviously he would rather his son is alive but his son is dead so that um you know that was that 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 was a really good way to help others in the medical community and the book came out with the coronavirus pandemic. Many people are really, you know, wanting some mindfulness practice that can be helpful. And so now he started his second book, which is Game Without Pain for everybody. First one was focused on the healthcare professionals. So that would be an example of a story. I'd give you another story, if you'd like, of another Well, person. I'm just going to, I've got a couple of questions I want to kind Far of away. zip around for the listeners. And we only have a few minutes left, if you can believe it already, Aurora. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I want to kind of link around to it. I mean, when we think about story, one of the things that's unique about our podcast, many of the other podcasts are really talking about how-tos. Mm -hmm. Recently, I had a colleague of mine who had an amazing story. In fact, she's from North Vancouver as well. Mm -hmm. and, uh, at the end of it, she actually emailed me afterwards and said, you know, I, I don't know if I had enough how-tos for the audience. I said, whoa, mm -hmm. whoa, your story was fascinating, what you did and the courage it took and, and decisions you made and you traveled around the world as a 20-year-old and what, you know, wh what was going on for you at that time? Mm -hmm. I think we underestimate the power of story and what you've done is just the antithesis, if, if I can even say that with my dyslexia, about um, you know, what we're trying to do with SOS or Secrets of Success is, yes, you have the thought leadership launch, but it's your story, Aurora, that really led you to this place to be able to communicate to others. So I just want to back up for a second. Sure. And say, when you think about people and their communication, so we have individuals who are like leaders that are listening. We have people who are business owners. We have other thought leaders who are listening. When you think about the error in communications, in other words, you know a person has a valid idea, concept on how they want to help people, but they're not really getting traction in the marketplace or people are, people are not listening them through the noise. What are sort of the general, I don't want to call them errors or mistakes, but general things that people are doing that are not working? Yeah, that, that that are sort of missing. It's this gap where you know they have something valuable, but 
other people for some reason are getting more traction and it's not as a valuable offer not to judge them but just to say you know this person's offer is good or better than theirs but nobody's listening to them okay where's, where's the gap what's, what's happening I can tell you that it's it's a three-part gap and it's neuroscience backed so I'm sure you'll be glad to hear that. And I just want to say you're so much like me because I actually really love other people's stories also, which is why I like helping people with their books because it's about their story. Your story matters. Okay, but here's where people make the mistake with their story besides brushing past it, which is one, one mistake and, and not valuing their story. I mean, people buy people, by which I mean they buy their story. They buy who that person is and why they do what they do, mm. not just the thing. So your story really matters. So the um, neuroscience, the simplest way to explain this is the most common mistake that smart analytical leaders or, or um, analysts or engineers or most people make is they assume that if they send the other person information, in quote-unquote verbal Excel spreadsheet that the other person is going to open said Excel spreadsheet and consume that information. And that is so not the way that human beings work. The cerebral cortex, which would need to open any, you know, uh, high processing information is the most uh, evolved or the most recent brain. So but that's not where you start. It, you, you need to start by first addressing the ancient or reptilian, or I like to call it the croc brain. So here's a metaphor that I find makes it visual and makes it easy to understand. So imagine you have a message. <laughs> it's in the olden days, and you're on a horse, and you're, you're a, a, a knight on a horse, and you're trotting up to the castle. Well, the castle is surrounded by a moat, and uh, the drawbridge is up. Okay, so there you are. You're the knight. And you have this, this message and you, you holler it down. Well, before they open the, the uh, drawbridge and let you in, you need to pass the croc brain. The croc brain, the ancient reptilian brain, is the initial filtering mechanism. And it's looking for, is this new? Is this interesting? Is this something sexy that I can mate with? Or is this something that's going to feed me that I can eat? Right? And if you have the same message as somebody, they have you know, the last 14 nights who trotted up to the drawbridge, nah, pass. You know? And if you don't have something that looks like there's some value there, something sexy or something I can eat, um, then you know, pass. And they'll just feed you the crocodiles instead of letting you in. But, so your message needs to be very quick and concise and catch attention and intrigue and invoke curiosity or invoke a leaning towards kind of bling, a blingy sort of energy. So, you know, mm -hmm. five weeks of sun, fun, and tax shelter is a good uh, example of that. Fatal Attraction, the name, title of a movie, that's a good example of that because mm -hmm. it's like there's tension in it. And you're like, what? That doesn't make sense. It's fine if it doesn't make sense, if it att attracts attention. Okay, so let's suppose your message is, um, I don't know, thought leader launch, seven ways to make seven figures with your million dollar message. And they're like, okay, well, that, that's a bit different. Let's, let's let the drawbridge in. Okay, so then your, your horse trots across the drawbridge, but you're not to talk to the king and queen yet, using them as a metaphor for the, the higher functioning brain, the cerebral cortex. No, you're in the courtyard and there are uh, nobles in there and you haven't finished passing the sniff test. They're still checking you. Are you dangerous? Mm -hmm. You know, who are you from? Like, do you have status? Or have you been sent from some king or queen that we know or that we respect? Or are you just, you know, a beggar dressed up 
to look like a knight like you're still passing more uh, sophisticated status tests this is the social brain the midbrain is is all about social it's like where do you fit in the pecking order are you an alpha are you a beta like where are you and always always measuring very quickly our brain measures where are we and where are others in terms of the pecking order so this brain Here's the language of connection, of community, of people, who is impacted, who is in danger, who is going to benefit. So the first message has to catch attention and show some kind of blingy value to catch a little bit more. And then the brain gives you permission to have a bit more of its attention. The next filter is, does this affect me or people that I care about, you know, my family or others? Um, in in my community, so um, it's a, it's the people pa uh, passing test. So the who? Okay, so if you pass that test, and you're escorted into the inner chambers, the royal chambers, where the king and queen will, will listen to you. And I use this metaphor. It's not exactly right neuroscience, but more or less it, it works. It's, you know, one half of the brain processes information one way, and the other half tends to process the other way. One is more looking for chaos or how do things broadly in a very diffuse way fit together. The other one's more order or masculine or feminine. Mm -hmm. uh, not exactly right, but close enough. So there's the king and the queen there. You need to speak to both of those brains and fairly quickly in short messages, and then you get permission to say more and permission to say more. So you mustn't deliver your whole 20-minute talk and then ask if you have any questions. You must, you know, deliver a little bit and then see if you're, if you're okay. And if you've watched brain, Game of Thrones, you know that you know, off with his head or you're out of here can happen extremely quickly. So it's the same in communication. You mustn't take for granted the person's listening. Like you're a very generous listener here and I'm very excited to, to, to share, but it's, it's easy to uh, go in the wrong sequence. It's easy to miss a step. And um, it's very, very important to speak both to masculine and feminine. And the other thing people miss is even though most keynote are 90 minutes or an hour, really the brain can only listen for about 20 minutes before getting tired. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, uh, listening, I was just actually listening to Chris Voss and his audiobook, Never Split the Difference. He's an FBI negotiator. And He's he been said, on our show. Oh, has he? Fantastic. A couple, a couple of years ago, I think, already. Yeah, because he says listening is the most important skill and it is effortful to really listen, like you've been listening. I've been talking, but you're listening, and that is effortful. It's a lot of work, Aurora. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I get that. So part of this is, you know, this is a, there's a real science. You don't have this all come together by accident without paying, being attentive and, and paying attention and being a student of sequence, being a student of language, being a student of content, that's what you help people do. And I that's suspect right. many individuals out there, oh, I'd love to do it, but that's why your business is doing well, why you're doing well, is you help people to sort of accelerate that versus them having to go through this whole learning curve that you provide. That's right. And then you can also benefit from, you know, movie structures and archetypal structures and mythic structures. Like there are a number of blueprints that can hold your story that most people who are not, you know, screenwriters or authors are not aware of. And then the other really cool thing, as, as you know, Ken, you're an author. Amazon these days, the whole playing field has changed since my first book came out. 
it is uh, amazing how many people Amazon is reaching and how that can really support any kind of a business to get their message out in a wide way across the world. Mm. You know, so Absolutely. That's, Absolutely. that's very cool. Yeah. Now, can you believe it? Like, we're, we're almost at the end here. And so we want to make sure, Aurora, that people know, I can't believe it's already there. So, hey, obviously story is part of your life and it just continues effortlessly. So with that, how can people find out more about what you're doing in your new book and your other five books and, <laughs> and all those different components? So how can um, they get a hold of you? Well, thanks for asking, Ken. They can go to my website, thoughtleaderlaunch.com thoughtleaderlaunch.com and they can download the first chapter of my latest book for free. It also comes with um, five videos that explain you know, some, some tips and tricks to launching your own million dollar message and using that to help you launch your business or your movement or get to the next uh, level in your career. So it comes with those bonus videos and then of course my books are on Amazon. If you like the book Love it if you left a review. It's always good to get reviews, and that's a bit of a process. So if you like it, I'd certainly appreciate a review. And it's available. Thought Leader Launch is actually available on Kindle now. So if you've got the Kindle Unlimited, it's absolutely free. Mm. So you and can also, you also have a site for you as a speaker. That's right. Consultant which, too, which is AuroraWinter.com, is, isn't it? That's right. That's AuroraWinter.com. And if people are interested in coach training, that's grief coachacademy.com griefcoachacademy.com so there's a number of ways to reach me I love to speak to people who would like to write a book they can get a, a complimentary uh, session I'll jump on the phone with them or somebody on my team will and if they want to you know become a coach same thing so and I love helping businesses also to help their teams get on the same page with their branding message so that makes me happy and and keeps me very busy well, thank you for your stories, Aurora. And, you know, if you were to wrap up and you have uh, 10 seconds, uh, sorry to put the pressure on you, what would be the one characteristic or trait you felt has been important on this journey of success for you? Enthusiasm, which I love that word because I am naturally enthusiastic. I am an optimistic person, and that helps me be prepared. You know, the good luck and preparedness meets opportunity. But I also love that word because it literally means to be filled with God. So I like that it has a flavor of, you know, checking in, asking for guidance, and um, seeking to make a contribution, make a difference, make my life mean something, and, and uh, have value for others. Mm. Well, Aurora, thank you for hanging out with us today. Thanks, Ken. It was a pleasure. So stay on the line with us, Aurora. So... Secrets of Success listeners, you've been listening to Aurora Winter with really her expertise of messaging, being articulate, being inspiring to be able to connect with other individuals. And of course, her grief that she went through is that, you know, if if she can make it, if she can get through this, then any of us can. And not that we're better or worse, it's just that we're all here to contribute at some level or another. So thank you as always for being a listener, leaving your, or using your most valuable commodity with this, which is your time. If you like what we're doing, too, uh, please pass it on. Leave a positive message on whatever platform you're listening on. And we certainly have appreciated your time. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes.
Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.